your presence stirs up joy in the Father. Just the fact that we exist and the fact that we are, there's nothing more safe like as a Catholic than to like rest in that and adoration. This is Truth Pop with Jake and Kathy, a Catholic take on faith and culture. culture. Welcome to another episode of Truth Pop. I'm Kathy. And I'm Jake. And we're a married couple giving you a Catholic take on faith and culture, helping you to live out your faith in modern day society. Sometimes it seems so hard to figure out your calling in life, but what if I were to tell you it's a lot easier than you would think? You know, in today's episode, I'm going to talk to Father Tim Anastas, who serves as the assistant chaplain at the St. John Paul II Newman Center at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Be sure to check out his real homilies, those Instagram reels with spirit juice on their website. And he has a new book out right now called Jesus Make Me Fully Alive from Ave Maria Press. And uh, Father Tim joining us to talk about how it's so important to find your identity as a son or daughter of God. Father, I would love for you to share a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. It's this whole idea of like, we think we know somebody, but then we come to find out that we really don't know that person all that well. You had an experience in high school with a girl that you liked, and it was kind of an eye-opening experience for you. Do you want to share that? Uh, So yeah, when I was a senior in high school, I got asked by a friend to um, help out with a musical. Um, which I never did. I played tennis. I played hockey. I was kind of, kind of like a jock. And I was like musical, no way that I'm not going to be caught dead in something like that. And finally convinced. And the, the play was a West side story. So was involved with all the production learning the lines, all the things I was officer Krupke in West side story. I don't know if you've ever seen it. They put like a pillow in my shirt. I ate donuts during it. So it was actually a great gig. Um, and so during, during this experience in high school, I definitely fell for a girl. She was just really cute and really sweet. And she was in the production as well. And so I was just just definitely really drawn to her and yeah, basically had her crush and throughout all of production, I was just trying to grow and gain the confidence to be able to ask her out. And so I decided, okay, what about what about asking her to, to homecoming? Um, and so I decided to get up the courage to do that. And I created, I think I created a great way of asking her. So in production or when the play is actually going on, uh, we put glow in the dark tape on the ground to know where we're supposed to stand. And so at the end of one of the, uh, first, uh, first productions that we did, I put glow in the dark tape, basically saying, will you go to homecoming with me? Which is, is that a good idea or no? Yeah. Okay. It. So I did that. And then <laughs> at the end of the play, curtain goes down. She sees the note. You see her eyes kind of light up seeing it. Yeah. And um, off stage, I was holding flowers. And then I, I like saw her face. She looked like she was lit up. I walked walked over to her, gave her the flowers, and then asked her, "Will you? I would love for you to go to homecoming with me. Um, I would be really excited to go. And she looked at me, and she was smiling. And she looked at me, and she said... I don't really know you. I know, right? Oh my gosh, it, it killed me. It destroyed me. Embarrassing moment. It caused a lot of shame in my heart. And here's this, like, I'm building up all this 
courage to do this. And like, we practiced for this play for like three months. So I was getting to know over three months, but the realization was like that I came to and the actual truth was I actually, I never gave her a chance to get to know me. I, I actually didn't really know her. I was off at a distance, like seeing her and seeing how she interacted with other people. And we were in some scenes together, but we didn't really actually get to know each other. And so it makes sense that she was like, I'm sorry, I just don't really know you. Yeah. And um, it's why I'm a celibate priest today. So, <laughs> no, but <laughs> seriously, like that was a realization that, okay, this, I, I need to get to know people. Like, and yeah. like in order to really have a relationship and a relationship that's built on trust, that's just a real relationship, I need to be like get to know someone and know their heart. Um, and so I shared that story at the conference because a lot of the times that's how, that's our relationship with God. Like Jesus, I know you're God. I know you're the second person of the Trinity. I know all these things about you, but you've been at a distance. Mm -hmm. Have I really shared my heart with you? Mm -hmm. Have I really shared everything about myself with you? The last thing that we want is to get to heaven. And Jesus says like, I don't, I don't really know you. Yeah. Um, Praise God, the Lord has used that embarrassment and that shame to actually help me grow in my relationship with the Lord. That I can't just, I can't keep you, Lord, you know, at a distance. So, yeah. yeah. You know, we need to put that relationship with God before we find our identity and then before we find the mission that He wants for us. So, why would you say that having that order is? so important like why can't we put our mission before our identity that's such a great question kathy because that is exactly what um our missionaries here at the newman center that's how they live their lives that's how yeah. all of us are called to live our lives for those who don't know what kathy is talking about is uh is an acronym rim mm -hmm. relationship identity mission like the order of how we live our life as catholics it first begins with like our relationship with Jesus, mm -hmm. um, that we develop this relationship with Jesus where we can share our hearts, where we can be safe and, and be trusted and know that the Lord is pursuing us. That's amazing. And that leads to our identity. Like the fact that I have a relationship with the living God, he has given me his identity as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. That identity can never be taken away. I am safe and I am free because I have this relationship. And so in that safety and in that freedom of my identity, then it naturally flows into mission. The mission is not giving me my identity. But like, especially as a priest, I always think of, I don't know if you know, St. Francis de Sales. Mm -hmm. St. Francis de Sales in France, he had a heart, absolute heart for the Lord. Um, and he felt called, especially to evangelize in France to Calvinists who believed a lot of false things about the Lord, especially that they almost had to prove their, they had to prove themselves to God to get to heaven. St. Francis de Sales was, he wanted to um, tell them the truth about how the Lord pursues them and how they are sons and daughters first. And the first time that he went out into France, he got called back by the bishop. Um, because it was fruitless. He, St. Francis de Sales, who was a saint, canonized saint in heaven, he failed. Wow. He like, he, he failed and he kind of sucked. Yeah. And just imagine if 
um, he lived mission first, which yeah. gave him his identity. So obviously he was called by God to do this mission and he totally failed. If mission gave him his identity, then he would be a failure. Yeah. His identity would be, yeah, he's, he's a failure. But the amazing thing is Francis de Sales, first and foremost, knew his relationship with the Lord. His deep intimacy with Jesus gives him his identity. And so when he goes on mission, he is free to fail. He is free to not convert anyone. Yeah. Praise God. Later on, he converted like 70, 73,000 Calvinists to the mm. Catholic faith. Um, but I love that example that, mm. yeah, this is, that's what it means to live in rim and not mer, M-I-R, mission, identity, relationship. That's really profound, Father, because I think you're right. You know, that that question that you asked at first, like, do I really know who God is? Like, do I really know his love for me? Can you speak to the importance of stillness and just resting in God's heart and how I think especially Eucharistic adoration can be so beneficial for people who oftentimes get their identity in Jesus and his love? Right. We, yeah, it's a great question because we live in a culture that is all about proving ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all about proving that we are good at our job. Um, even as Catholics, we can easily prove that I want to prove that I'm a good husband to my wife. Right. I want to prove that I'm a good wife to my husband. I want to prove that I'm a, a good priest to, yeah. to my kiddos here at the Newman Center. Yeah. It's so easy to like do things that doing is our identity. Mm-hmm. And so what better way to realize that we actually don't have to do anything. We just have to be um, is in adoration. Um, when we go to adoration, when we're before the blessed sacrament, when we're before Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, what what happens? We don't have to do anything. We kneel, we sit there, and we receive his love. Jesus is teaching us that resting in him is what truly gives us our identity. Resting in him is, um, and being united with him is his desire. We just have to rest. Like adoration gives us that opportunity not to prove anything. Mm. One of my spiritual director, he shared with me, this was like a year ago when I was in the mode of like doing all these things and trying to prove myself to God. He shared with me, he said, Tim, Father Tim, he said, your presence stirs up joy in the Father. Mm. Wow. Just your, your mere presence, just you being, you being not doing you being stirs up joy in the father Mm. that we have a father in heaven who just the fact that we exist and Mm. the fact that we are, it stirs up joy in God. Yeah. That's incredible. There's nothing more safe like as a Catholic than to like rest in that and adoration that, I'm just, I get to sit here and receive from him. Yeah. That's where we can truly find rest. Yeah. yeah. Is, is the adoration of the blessed sacrament. I love that because, you know, I struggle. I'm such a doer, like in adoration, like, I'm okay, here are all my prayers. Like I need to like have a right. good time in adoration. But like what you said is so true. Like 
God delights, like Mm -hmm. Jesus delights that we are just there. And that Mm -hmm. that's really all he wants. So I was just wondering, how do you find your mission through the Eucharist? Like, how can that flow? You mentioned earlier that once you have that relationship, you can form that identity. And then naturally that, that flow, that mission flows from that. What would you say to somebody who's having trouble discerning on what, Mm. what they should do as their mission? Awesome question. Yeah. When it comes to discerning their mission, discerning their vocation, discerning what to do next, the source of mission, the source of like your future vocation, whatever it is, the source of that is Jesus in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. um, that our lives as Catholics are so sacramentally centered mm-hmm. that not in any way of discovering like the next step in discernment is, is through the Eucharist. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's such a profound thing that again, like even figuring out our mission, even discerning our mission, isn't necessarily an active like doing it's, mm-hmm like receiving that from the Lord, especially within Eucharistic adoration. When we have that devotion to the Lord and when we are present in adoration, when we draw close to him, what happens is we fall deeper in love. When someone falls deeper in love, they cannot help but like share that love. Yeah. Um, they cannot help, but I'm sure when you guys were, even before engagement or when you really were like just falling in love, you couldn't help but tell your friends, you know, you can help oh, yeah. tell your family, like this person is amazing. And so the same thing when it comes to the discerning mission, when we're falling deeper in love, we can't help but but share it. And the Lord very gently and gradually leads us to that next step to share that love. Um, so it's first about falling deeper in love and then sharing it. So for me, it was once in college, when I was really growing in this reversion, um, the more and more I spent time in the Eucharist, the more and more the Lord used restlessness in my heart mm. that everything else besides thinking about the priesthood caused restlessness. I was dating a girl at the time and she was amazing, but mm. like there was restlessness in that. Um, senior year, I got offered a job with the FBI um, mm. to work for them. I was studying linguistics and Arabic at the time. So why I think that they wanted me, but they, they offered me this job. And here's this amazing thing that the world is saying, this will make you happy having an amazing job where you can carry a gun and save the world and fight bad guys. But it was just totally, I was totally restless in my heart. It was empty. And the Lord through the Eucharist was revealing that there is this place inside of you that will always be restless until you say yes to me. And that mission was, was the priesthood. But very similarly, when we get close to the Lord in the Eucharist, we sense and we we become very aware of this part of our hearts that's very restless until until we fulfill it with that mission. Um, so it's like almost mission fulfills that part of our hearts that is restless, um, that we are actually, we are loving and we are going out in love, whatever that mission may be, whatever that vocation may be. Yeah. Wow. I think what you're saying is just so beautifully articulate in the sense that sometimes people have this idea that, oh, if I devote my life completely to God in whatever way that I'm going to be set out for misery. But what I hear you saying is that like, it's realizing that outpouring of love that's in our hearts 
where it's just naturally spilling out. And so whatever mission God calls us to, it's a life of joy. It's like you said, the, uh, the restlessness goes away and like, we actually, okay, God has called me to this and I'm truly able to be who I was called to be. So, right. I was just thinking the gospel is when Jesus, he cures the demoniac, um, the one who is possessed and the demon within the person says, what do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? Mm. Like this, we can say that the same thing to the Lord when we're discerning our vocation. Like, okay, are you going to destroy me? Are you going <laughs> to yeah. destroy my my personality? Am I going to become a Jesus freak or a weirdo right. if I get close to you? Right. Um, but what does Jesus promise? Like when you say yes to me, I promise that they may have life and have it in abundance. Mm. That I'm not destroying you. I'm not just, I'm making you more you. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I, I have to ask you, like, what was it like, like the first time you said mass and like being able to consecrate uh, the Eucharist? I, it just, it really speaks into like how important the Eucharist really is for us, but for you being a priest, what was that experience like? Right. Um, I need to be honest. My first mass as a priest, it was like a blur. It was totally a blur because wow. I was, I was nervous. All my family and friends were there. I'm like, uh, but yes, it was absolutely beautiful. And I saw the fruits of it afterwards when all my family and friends were drawn to the Lord, even like even closer, like through, through mass, through the Eucharist, even in the midst of my own nervousness and like shaking in my boots and stuff like that. Um, But I, I can say that even before that, my first mass as a deacon when I was first ordained a deacon was very, it was very powerful. Even though I wasn't the ones like consecrating the Eucharist, mm. I was there as, as an ordained deacon. And it was really powerful. I long story short, um, I did my seminary studies in Rome. All of us at the North American college in Rome, we get ordained deacons over the tomb of St. Peter, our first Pope. The next day, all of us go and celebrate our first masses as deacons mm. um, throughout the city. And it's the first time that we preach and everything. Yeah. Um, some guys choose the like the major basilicas in Rome or where their favorite saint is buried, these amazing, beautiful churches. Um, and I decided to um, deacon my first mass with my family and friends um, mm. in the catacombs. Mm. Oh, cool. Uh, where all the martyrs are buried and we celebrated mass like literally underground mm. in the midst of tombs because wow. I, want, I wanted to be with the martyrs you're being down there and preaching for the first time and kneeling next to the priest as he consecrated the eucharist i remember like looking at jesus and just receiving this experience of not only clarity but just total fulfillment mm. in my heart where I was always feeling restless. Mm. Um, and it was like all that restlessness was now gone. And um, through the Eucharist, Jesus was saying, you are, you're safe. You're, mm. you're, you're where I need you to be. And I can just imagine all the apostles, even the martyrs in those catacombs experiencing the same thing that you're doing what I want you to do. You don't have to be afraid. And so it was probably one of the first moments where I felt no fear ever. The fear was gone. I wish I could answer that same question when I was celebrating mass as a priest for the first time, but 
um, I was I was a little preoccupied. <laughs> Understandable. Well, it's like you said that you know, regardless of how we perform with our mission, we're still pleasing God. So right. it's amazing what Jesus can do when we just when we turn to Him, when we pray in front of Him in the Eucharist, when we go to adoration. So what are some practical ways we can live a Eucharistic lifestyle? So, so many ways. Um, I actually, I'm excited to share that I have a, a book actually coming out um, in yes. February, February 16th. It's basically, it's geared towards like young adults and college kids, how to make a holy hour, um, how you make a holy hour in front of the blessed sacrament and how you are able to live that in your daily life. Yeah. Um, and, um, of course, like first and foremost, consistency is, is totally key when it comes to your relationship, literally any relationship, not just with Jesus, yeah. but any relationship, you need consistency. True. So it's basically a 30 day, like challenge to do a holy hour, or 30 minutes every day with mm -hmm. the Lord. But I would say, especially for young people, one of the greatest things to do when it comes to adoration and prayer life is reading the gospel for the day there's the ancient practice of lexio divina lexio divina is yeah. divine reading it's just uh, allowing jesus to speak to us through his living word through mm -hmm. scripture it can take five ten minutes every day where you have a built-in gospel every single day that's read at mass that you can reflect on um that a word or phrase stands out and you can let jesus speak to you within that then if you go to mass that day, you're hearing the gospel again. Yeah, so it's yeah. like washing over you several times. You hear a priest give an amazing or horrible homily about that gospel. <laughs> and so like it's you're actually becoming close to the Lord through his word. It's like an easy, consistent thing that you can do throughout the throughout the day. So that's my first and foremost suggestion. Um, the second is there in most parts of the country within 30 minutes, there is a good chance there's an adoration chapel or an open church where you can visit the Blessed Sacrament. That's the amazing thing about being Catholic is yeah. the Eucharist is mm -hmm. the Eucharist is within distance um, to visit. And there's no better way as a Catholic to grow in your relationship with the Lord than to spend time with the Lord. And as we talked about earlier, just to rest with him. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another encouragement that I have. Uh, what's the name of the book and how can people check it out? So the book is called Jesus Make Me Fully Alive. I chose that title because last year our students um, created a retreat um, around that theme of like wanting to be fully alive in him. Everyone around campus, they were basically walking around like zombies. Yeah. If, you, if you've seen someone from Gen Z, it looks like they're walking around like a zombie. Headphones in, you know, head, head down, face in their phone. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of our Newman students are just tired of that. And they knew, they knew that like getting close to Jesus makes them fully alive. Mm -hmm. um, so the book is entitled Jesus Make Me Fully Alive, 30 Holy Hour Reflections. Um, and so you can find it on Amazon as well as directly on Ave Maria Press's website. Um, and so it's a book where um, it's two parts. First part is explaining like the traditions and the history of mm. the holy hour and what it is 
and how to make a holy hour, explaining how to enter into adoration, Mm -hmm. um, as well as Alexia Divina, how to do spiritual journaling in your holy hour. And then the second part is a 30-day challenge where Mm -hmm. there's a reflection every day and then an opportunity for Lexio and for journaling. And it's a great way to to grow in relationship with the Lord in a consistent basis. Hmm. Like 30, day, 30 days with Jesus, where you commit to Jesus in prayer for 30 days, your life will be changed. It's yeah, It will happen. Like during these 30 days, you're kind of like pulling yourself back and back and back and receiving like this race bomb, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it, yeah, and then at the end, let go, and you are able just to pray on your own with confidence. You know, if you want to also speak to, uh, really briefly, the Eucharistic Congress that's going to be going on this summer, this is a great way for somebody who is starting to grow in devotion to the Eucharist to really profoundly encounter it even more. Right. And yeah, if for those who are listening, who are growing in the relationship with the Lord, specifically in devotion to the Eucharist, it's the place to be. Um, cancel your plans or quit your job and whatever, and, <laughs> but uh, go to the Eucharistic Congress because not only, I mean, there's there will be amazing opportunities um, to grow in catechetical knowledge like of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. uh, as well as spiritual understanding Eucharistic miracles and just the history of the development of the doctrine of the Eucharist. Mm. Um, scriptural, like being able to enter into, into the Bible and into the Old Testament or shadowing of the Eucharist in the Old Testament. So many opportunities, so many, um, different aspects where we can grow closer to Jesus through the Eucharist. There'll be processions and, and mass, of course, and hundreds of thousands of people there mm-hmm. um, who believe that, who believe the same thing as you do. So it's going to be a Pentecost. It's going to be so beautiful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's uh, July 17th through the 21st in Indianapolis and uh, father, like looking forward to seeing you there. We'll definitely have to uh, catch up when we're there. Absolutely. This is truth. Thought. 